You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Turn to Philippians. Turn to Philippians. We're going to look at two passages today, or two uh, uh, books. Philippians. And while you're turning there, hold your place there, and then we'll look at Acts. And uh, we'll look at Acts. A little bit ago, uh, back in uh, March, I did a, a series, kind of a verse-by-verse uh, series with our Bible study with our teenagers. And we went through the book of Philippians. And I love how Philippians pertains to missions. Uh, in my opinion, it would be like a modern-day prayer letter, honestly. Uh, Paul was a missionary, right? He was a missionary. Uh, the Philippian church, the church of Philippi, they were one of his supporting churches, okay? And so he is writing back to them. He's communicating with them. He's kind of informing them. He's encouraging them. And they had this very, very sweet partnership that they had together. Uh, but before we get into looking at, we're going to go through Philippians and look at a few verses. Before we do that, I want to look at Acts, Acts chapter 16. And I want to see how this church was started. And it was amazing to be like, I've heard this story before, and I've heard of this. I never really put it together that this was the start of the Philippian church. And so I want to look at this uh, just uh, quickly and pull out a couple principles. And so first we'll look at Acts chapter 16, verse 9 and 10. And it says this, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Verse 12, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony, and we are in that city abiding certain days. And the first thing I want to point out, the first thing we need to understand about missions, about church, about Christianity is there was only one reason that Paul went to Philippi, and that's because God called him, okay? We're going to Portugal. Some people say, why Portugal? Why, why over there? And I wish I had this like really cool, awesome story, you know, of God speaking out of this cloud that looked, you know, like the country of Portugal, and God led us. And I don't have that story. But I do know in my heart that God is leading us there. Your pastor, right, he's here. And he's here for one reason, because God told him to come here. Our missionaries, other missionaries that are here, they're here because God told them. You and your life, you do what you do, right? And we, we want to follow that leading of God in our lives. My wife and I were talking, and uh, we were looking back. God has been so good to us. And he's blessed us. And one of the things he's blessed us with is really just a good, clear calling, right? A good, clear purpose in our life. And we were looking back and thinking back, and really three, way, three areas that I want to point out uh, that God called us. Number one, Plasmith, Nebraska. Uh, man, through college, I was worried. I was concerned. Like, man, where am I going to go? Where am I going to serve? I heard some stories of guys going to churches and just some crazy things happening. And I'm like, man, I, uh, I was concerned. And my preacher always said, he said, do not worry. God's going to put you exactly where you belong. And man, that was the truth. 
uh, we uh, moved to Placid, Nebraska. I told my wife, she grew up, we grew up in the Chicagoland area. I said, I think we're going to go look at this church in Nebraska. And she said, where is that? Like, where is Nebraska? I mean, it's, it feels, that's a mission field in itself, right? And, uh, and so, we, were, uh, we went there, and from the beginning, just God knit our hearts with our pastor, with our church, with the teenagers. Uh, I probably, probably hung out with the teenagers a little too much in those early days, and uh, we probably got along a little too well. But, but there was a fit. And looking back, 22 years, God, it, it's been so good to see that God definitely led us there, and He put us there for a reason, for a purpose. We have a teenage boy in our youth group, he's a junior, and he showed me the other day a Bible that I gave him when he was a newborn baby in the hospital, right? This little Bible, I have a picture of me holding him, and it was such a cool, it's been such a cool life, just serving God uh, there. The next thing that we look back on, how God led us, about seven years ago, uh, seven years ago, there was these two boys in our church. Uh, they were 12 and 15. Uh, LaCorey and Daniel is their names. And uh, they were uh, coming to our church for five years. And they were in, our, in the foster care system for five years. Uh, they were riding the bus route to our church for five years. And they were, they were plugged in. They were faithful. They came to everything. Uh, they went to camp with us. So we really just became very close to them. Uh, our church developed a strong love with them. And uh, at that point, the state, they were in a great foster home, but the state were, was kind of doing some things and just, they were really trying to find them an adoption home. Uh, they were talking about moving them out of the state, moving them away from their family, their friends, their, their everything they knew. Uh, they were trying to put them in, they put them, tested them in a couple homes that really just wasn't a good fit. And man, my heart, I was kind of involved. Man, my heart just broke for these boys, right? And I was venting one day, and I was talking to someone in our church that knew them, and uh, I said, uh, these are too good of boys to be messing with. I said, somebody ought to adopt these boys. And let me tell you, be careful when you say that somebody ought to do something, because God may have that somebody be you. And sure enough, uh, here's a picture of them. You saw them earlier, uh, but here's a, maybe not, maybe somewhere. There they are. Uh, there's a picture of LaCoria, Daniel. Uh, Daniel's the tall one, but he's younger, and uh, he reminds his brother of that every once in a while. And uh, anyway, but God put them in our homes. And you know what? At the time, <laughs> right, God speaks to you and tells you he wants you to adopt teenage boys. Like, okay, I think I heard that wrong, right? Like that's, I love teenagers. I could hang out with teenagers. We'll go to camp and spend a whole week, month together. But adopting, oh, that's a whole other story. Uh, but you know what? We did because God wanted us to. And man, looking back, seven years, uh, that's, those are our boys. It's been just God's hand in our life and in their life. We probably learned more than they have. And so it's been a good, a good thing. It's good serving God and knowing that you're doing what He wants you to. And then lastly, we feel just as much as God called us to adopt our boys, God called us to Plasmith. God is calling us to Portugal. We sold our house last month. We're excited. We're traveling, uh, meeting great people, great churches, and uh, it's all going well. And so, as you go on, as we look on in the book of Acts, and we, uh, we move on, we see so Paul, he does. Paul and Silas, they go. They get to uh, Philippi. Things actually start off well. 
things are going well. They uh, lead this lady to the Lord. Her name is Lydia. Uh, things are good. And then classic Paul, classic Paul style, he gets in a little bit of trouble, right? He ends up uh, ending up in jail. Uh, he's persecuted. He's beaten. Uh, they end up in jail. And you know, I love as the story goes on, it tells us what happens next, right? And we don't see Paul complaining. We don't see Paul questioning, saying, God, you, you led us here. You told us, we're just trying to please you. We're just trying to do what you want us to do. And now we're in jail. Things are not going well. And uh, he didn't do that, right? We see, let's look real quick at verse six, or chapter 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword, and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. And through all of that, through all of that, even though some of it was very rough and very hard, they end up starting this Philippian church. And we see the start of this church, and it ends up being a very special church to Paul. Uh, here, years later, he's writing the book of Philippians back to them to encourage them. And so I want to look through the book of Philippians at just a few verses and a few points to pull out. All right? So here we are, Philippians chapter 1, verse number 5 says this, For your fellowship... In the gospel from the first day until now. And I want to point out, we need to understand and realize how powerful this thing of the gospel is. It's amazing. I've met your pastor before. I went to college with Pastor Brent. I knew a few of you coming into this church, but most of you I did not know. But wasn't it amazing Thursday night or Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, as we would hang out and meet each other? It's almost like we've been friends forever. We had this instant connection. We had this instant bond, this friendship. And you know why that is? That's because of the gospel. Because our fellowship is in the gospel. And I would encourage you as a church, be careful. Because it's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to not to forget about the gospel. And we start focusing on other things, and then there's conflict. And we need to always remember our fellowship is in the gospel. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, And I, in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And you know what? The greatest, the greatest gift we have is love. The greatest motivator, the greatest motivation we have as a Christian, as a parent, as anything, is love. Uh, we have this, we have a love, right? There's a lot of motivators. I've worked with our sports program in our school for 20 plus years. And competition, like that's motivating, right? Like we'll get, we'll get motivated by competition and that'll motivate us. Uh, fear, Fear could be a motivator. Uh, you think, think about a child-parent relationship, right? When I was a child, uh, man, I would try my hardest. Notice I said try. I would try my hardest to obey, right? I wanted, I really did want to obey, even though it may seem like I did it sometimes. I wanted to obey. You know why I wanted to obey? Because I knew that if I did not obey, something bad was going to happen. 
and it was going to hurt, okay? And so I wanted to obey. But you know what happened? This is amazing. As I grew up and as my love for my parents matured and my love for my parents grew stronger, here I'm an adult. My parents ended up moving out to Nebraska to be close to, I want to say their son, but really it was their grandchildren. And they were there. And here through their life, I would honor them. I would respect them. I would love them. I would obey them. And I didn't have to obey them at that point. They couldn't punish me anymore. I wanted to obey them. I wanted to because I loved them. And love is the greatest motivator we have in life. I'll tell this quick kind of funny story. Uh, A few years ago, we were kind of cleaning out some stuff at our house and kind of going through, you know, the storage room and different things. And uh, my wife and I, we went out to eat one night and we came home, we came home and our four teenage sons were in the living room. And they found a popcorn tin, okay? You know, like the popcorn tin you get at Christmas time, and uh, it's this popcorn tin. And in that popcorn tin was every love letter that I wrote to my wife in college. You're a step ahead of me here. Listen, listen. There is not many more embarrassing moments in life they coming home and your teenage boys are reading the love letters that you wrote to your wife in college. I mean, they are, on, they are laughing. There are tears coming out of their eyes. They are mocking me. They're like reading the letters to one another like, oh, Marianne, your eyes sparkle as the diamond. Oh, right. And uh, right. Yeah, they had a good time with that. Now, listen, listen, listen. I did not have to write those love letters, right? She did not have to read. She definitely didn't need to keep them, okay? But she did, right? And I did write them, and she read them. Why? Because we wanted to. I wanted her to know how I felt about her. She wanted to know. She wanted to read. And listen, today, this is the greatest love letter we'll ever see we'll ever read. We should never get to the point where we have to read the Bible. We have to talk to God and pray. We have to come to church. No, we should want to. If we are in this love relationship with Christ because He loved us first, we want to. We love Him and we want to serve Him. We want to give to Him. We want to please Him. We want to know more about Him and we want Him to know more about us. And that is what love does. That's what love does in our life, okay? Let's look on. Let's move on. And uh, let's move to chapter 2, chapter 2, and uh, verse 17 and 18, okay? And this, I want to, this is a good giving principle, uh, a great principle for missions, okay, as we're in a missions conference. Uh, And so here we are, chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 17 and 18. Yea... And if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Okay? So Paul is telling them, like, number one, I realize, I understand that for you to give, for you to participate, to, be, to help me as a missionary, I understand it's going to take sacrifice. 
right? It is. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take giving. And, and, and especially in those days, it was hard to be a Christian. Uh, the Philippian church was heavily persecuted. I mean, think about how Paul started the church. He ended up in jail, right? And so, the, the, it's hard to be a Christian. So, it took sacrifice. And he's telling them, I am thankful for your sacrifice. As a missionary, like, I couldn't do what I do without you. I am so thankful that you are giving and you're sacrificing to help me. Like, I love your gifts. I love what you're doing. Thank you. But look what he said, too. So, so he says, it brings me joy. But then he says, in verse 17 or 18, for the same cause also do ye joy. Right? And that's contrary to what our brains, what our society would tell us. Our society says to have joy, to have happiness, we need, we need stuff, right? We need a new phone. We need a bigger TV. We need a boat. We need a camper. We need a, you know, we're in camping city right here, right? Like there, I've never seen more campers in my life than I have in Colorado. But right, we need all this stuff to make us happy. And Paul is saying the exact opposite. He's saying, no, true happiness, true joy comes from not from giving, but from giving, from sacrificing. Uh, this is cool. I love this. You're wondering what this jar of money was. Uh, this is very special to us. This is our very first love offering, right? You go into missions conferences, and a lot of them, they'll give you a love offering that they took up. And we went in our very first love offering, or uh, missions conference. Uh, it wasn't even a conference. It was a service. And we went up to Fremont, Nebraska. It's about an hour from our house. And we went there. And after the, we had a little dinner. And after the dinner, this little girl, actually I have a picture of her uh, here. Her name is Grace. And she comes up and she gave this jar of money. And I don't, we haven't counted it. Uh, I've, I've contemplated whether we should count it or not, but we haven't counted it. And uh, there's a $5 bill in there. There's money in here, right? She could have spent this money on a lot of things. And let me tell you, like, this was humbling, okay? This really started our whole journey off pretty much with a, just a knife in the heart, you know, because this made it real. Like, this is not big business. This is not this big empire. This is God's people, God's precious little girl, Grace, sacrificing and saving and combing through her grandpa's couch and finding all the coins she could find so that she could give it to a missionary to help this missionary. And, but here's what I want you to point, notice, okay? She is not sad. She is happy. She was joyful. She was excited to give this and to sacrifice it, to save it, to help a missionary family. And that's what giving to God, that's what giving to, to church and being a part of something does. It brings joy into our life. Let's look at chapter 4. And I'll move along, all right? Chapter 4, in verse 15, we see another great principle of giving in missions. He says this, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. This is fascinating. It's almost astonishing that at one point in Paul's ministry, there was only one church helping him. Imagine if that church didn't help him, right? And here, this church, that he's telling them that at one point, you were the only ones helping us. And I want us to think in our own lives, and this has been talked about a little bit this week, but in our own lives, be careful to ever think that someone else will do something. Someone else will do it. 
right? God's called me to, to uh, Portugal to be a missionary, but guess what? You're a missionary. You might not go to Portugal, you might not go to Brazil, you might not go to Thailand, but you are a missionary in your neighborhood. You are a missionary in your school. You are a missionary in your work, workplace. God has given you a circle of influence that no one else has. And that neighbor, it'd be easy for us to think, well, someone else will invite my neighbor to church. Someone else will tell them about the gospel. And guess what? It could be possible that you are the only one that will ever tell your neighbor about the gospel, about Jesus, invite them to church. And we need to understand and be vigilant in, in reaching our circle of influence. Our pastor has a phrase, and he says, to reach the world, or we, re- we reach the world by reaching our world. You have a world. It's your children, it's your coworkers, it's your family, and we are to call to reach that world around us, okay? Let's move on, and I'm almost done here. Uh, verse 16 to 17, he says this, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And Paul is teaching us here that even though he's the, he's the one, he's the boots on the ground, right? He's the one going. He's going into all the world, and he reached thousands of people with the gospel, right? And I'm going to Portugal, and our missionary this morning, Brother Barrett, he's going to Brazil, and we're, we're going and we're reaching people. And you may never leave Colorado. You may never leave America. But when you partner with a missionary, we're the boots on the ground, and you're that partner. You're that silent partner pushing us and helping us. And when we get to heaven, when these people in, uh, in the Philippian, in Philipp, the church of Philippi, when they got to heaven, they met people from all over the world that was saved and reached through them because of them and because of their giving and their support of Paul. And we should never, ever forget that, all right? And then let's end. I love the way that Paul ends this book. He ends this chapter in verse 23. He says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I taught a little series in, uh, or lesson series in Sunday school. I teach the 11th and 12th graders in our church Sunday school back in September. And we went through the the topic of grace, the subject of grace. And I've taught grace before. I've heard preaching on grace. I've read about grace. And the thing that stuck out to me more than I've ever noticed before about grace, and this just almost every week I taught this subject, it just hit me. Grace is not just our ticket to heaven. Okay? Now, now listen. <laughs> it is our ticket to heaven. No question about that. For by grace are you saved through faith. We do not go to heaven without the grace of Jesus. And if there's not been a time in your life, if you're here today, whether you're visiting or whether you've been, when I got saved, I was at church for probably five years until I finally could 
buckled to that conviction and walked and got saved and trusted in Christ and received that gift of grace. And if you're here today and you have not accepted the grace of God, of, of God and Jesus into your life, I would urge you to do that this morning. This church would greatly rejoice if you accepted the grace of Jesus as your Savior. Now, we get to heaven through grace, but grace is so much more in our lives. It gives us victory over sin. It gives us this relationship that was broken, it was severed, it was separated from God, right? And now, through the grace of Jesus, we could talk freely to the God of the universe, the creator of the universe. We could talk to God. He cares about us. He wants to be a part of our lives. He wants to help us. We now, because of grace, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And He walks with us. He guides us. He comforts us. And I would encourage you this morning to continue to grow in, the, in that grace with Jesus. Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. And as I wrap up this morning, lots of things, right, that, that God could have spoke to us about, whether it be our love with Him, maybe it's our love with others. Maybe we love God, but man, we have a hard time sometimes loving those around us. Maybe there's some principles that God's speaking to you as he, you, he would convict you about how, what your role is in this missions emphasis time in this church. And I pray that you would embrace the grace of Jesus and live in that and have him live through your life. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for church. Thank you for this opportunity that we could come and we want to be closer to you, Lord. And that we have your word to guide us and to strengthen us. And Lord, I pray for this church as we've had a great week where we've met with you. And I pray that we would continue to live and grow our relationship with you, Lord. And that you would grow in our lives and draw us closer to you. And that we would serve you with all our heart, soul, and mind, no matter where that is. And bless us now. In your name we pray. Amen. As we continue. We continue in prayer for just a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Brother Marks said that we cannot know God and have a relationship with him. We cannot know eternal life in heaven without the grace of Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Take just a moment right now and ask yourself the question, what are you basing eternal life on? Are you basing eternal life on that you're a good enough person? That you treat others nice enough? Are you basing eternal life on the fact that you go to church? That you give money to the Lord? Are you basing going to heaven on being baptized? Are you basing going to heaven on anything other than the finished work of Jesus Christ? Examine your heart right now and say, Lord, what, are you, what am I basing my salvation on? The Bible tells us very clearly in the book of Titus, chapter 3 and verse 5, 
not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. His mercy. If you've never cried out to the Lord, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, forgive me of my sin. I trust Jesus Christ as my sacrifice, that his death, his shed blood, his burial and his resurrection is the only way of salvation for me. I'm trusting Christ. I'm receiving him as my savior. The Bible says if we receive him to them that receive him as given the power to become the sons of God. How many of you would say right now, Pastor Miller, the truth of the matter is in my life, I've based my salvation on other things other than Jesus Christ. And God has spoken to my heart today that I need to trust Jesus Christ alone and God has spoken to my heart. If that's you today, would you slip your hand up quietly? I won't embarrass you, I promise that. But I do wanna pray for you and wanna give you an instruction on how you can know Christ as Savior. God bless you. I see your hand. Who else would say, Pastor, pray for me? I've based my salvation on other things besides Jesus Christ. Would you slip your hand way up high and let me pray with you? Father, I'm praying for these who've just raised their hand right now that they would by faith respond to the gospel and to come to Christ by faith alone. Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus, you are the door, you are the life, you are the resurrection, and I pray that they would respond to you today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if God has spoken to your heart and you've raised your hand and said, it's me, I've based my salvation on other things besides Christ. If you would like to get that settled while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you can slip right to the back and one of our ladies or one of our men will meet you and they'll show you some verses from scripture and they'll seal a decision with prayer and you can know that you have trusted Christ today as your savior. So take just a moment. You can leave your seat right now and walk right to the back. I'm gonna talk to our church family for just a minute. I wanna ask you right now if you would pray right now, Lord, what would you have me to do in missions? God, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to go? How would you have me to give? Who do I need to take the gospel to? Would you pray right now for just a moment? I'm gonna ask Melissa to play. You can remain in your seat. And I'm going to ask Melissa to play. And you pray right now. Say, Lord, if you have your by faith card, pull that out. Say, Lord, what would you have me to give? Lord, what do you want me to do with missions? Lord, I pray that we would not rush through this time, but that we would meditate on what you're speaking to our hearts about. Lord, there is a fellowship in the gospel. This is for eternity. And I pray that we would be people mindful of how you're speaking to us. I pray that we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to mind you obediently. Father, may we be a church 
that is standing in one accord in the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would turn our focus to those who are lost. So often it's easy for churches to become so inward focused that we lose sight of the world around us. So Lord, I pray that we would have both, that we would love one another. We would have fervent charity among our church, that we would encourage each other and bless each other. But then Lord, that we would go and tell the world the gospel. Thank you for speaking to my heart today.